May the words of my mouth, the thoughts of my hearts, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. And then in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. So why don't people worship today? I mean, beside the fact that we might feel like a little bit lazy <laughs> and decide not to go to church to worship God, are there other reasons why we would choose not to worship? I was reading a story in preparation for today's sermon about a young woman named Jane. And Jane suffered from depression. And her depression came from some decisions that she had made early in her, earlier in her life. And um, Jane did not grow up going to church. She had friends who went to church and would invite her to church. She would go with them on occasion, but she typically did not go to church as a child or as a young adult. She went away to college. She wanted to major in uh, advertising and marketing. Her, her dream job was to become a director of marketing for an advertising agency. And so one night when she was on campus, there was a party she was invited to, so she went to that party. After the party was over, she went home with a boy that she had met there, and she ended up spending the night with him. They had been together and met periodically after that for several weeks until she realized that she was pregnant. And when she told the young man that she was pregnant, he said he didn't want anything to do with a baby and he didn't want anything more to do with her. And so he left her. This, she says, was the beginning of her, de of her depression. She did not feel close to her family, and so she could not go home and talk to her family. And so she made a decision to go to the women's health clinic and to have the baby aborted. Now, months had gone by, even a few years had gone by when she was experiencing this deep depression. And so she decided that maybe her friend's advice was good advice. And so she looked up a church, and she went to church. And she decided she would go again. But every time she attended that church, what she heard from the pastor were not really words of forgiveness or grace or love, but what she heard were words of judgment. When she was called by the church, invited to come to the Remember class, she said she wasn't interested, and she stopped going. And her depression worsened. She had hoped that she would hear words of hope when she went to church. 
and worship God. She had hoped that she would hear words of grace and love and acceptance. But she heard none of those words. And so her picture of God was that God is a judge who hates you because of your sins. And that you need to go and figure out how to get rid of your sins week after week after week. And that's what she had tried to do, and that's what had failed her. This is really not a story about sin as much as it is a story about judgment. When she stopped attending worship, she lost her faith in God because of the God that she was invited to worship. Jane went to church and instead of hearing good news and hope, she heard how to live so that she could look good on the outside. How, should be, how she could get herself cleansed on the outside. But that's not what was affecting her. What she needed was to have God on the inside. In the first four verses of our reading today, we hear how the old sacrificial system, which was done day by day, week by week, and year by year, how that old sacrificial system was insufficient. It could make you look good in public. After all, you'd gone to worship, you'd gone to the temple, you'd been cleansed from your sins. You looked right, even if you didn't feel right. And so, the people would come to worship still feeling guilty for their sins. In our reading today, in verses 1, the last part of verse 1, we'll begin the sacrifice under that system the sacrifices under that system, that old sacrificial system, were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time. And then feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. And we could probably add day after day. Perhaps you have heard from many Christians when you have needed help that you just don't measure up. Maybe people have told you that. You might have been told that you need to stop your sinning or you're truly not saved. How many people today come to worship hoping to 
look good on the outside. And how many people today come to worship hoping to feel good when they leave on the inside? You see, why do people choose not to worship? It's not just because we'd rather not go out in the rain. We'd rather stay home and pick up the New York Times, cup of coffee. No, the reason that many people don't worship is because we have become not a purveyor of grace, but a purveyor of judgment. But Jesus Christ sacrificed his obedient and faithful life so that your sins might be forgiven once and for all. You see, when we feel like we never measure up, when we feel like we are filled with guilt from past sins that never go away, we draw away from God. We draw away from that inner sanctum, that holy of holies. We withdraw from God's presence because we have felt like we have failed. But Jesus is doing something different here. Jesus is drawing us near to him. Jesus says to us that he is bringing forgiveness for you once and for all. In Mark 1, it says that Jesus proclaims and he announces that the time has now come. The kingdom of God is drawing near. Some translations say the kingdom of God is, has arrived. It's not really arrived yet. The kingdom of God, it says, is drawing near. It is coming And Jesus draws us near as the kingdom draws near to this world. This letter that we are reading, this letter from the preacher who is preaching this sermon to the house church of Hebrews, this preacher then takes us to Psalm 40. And he does that in our verses uh, 5 through 7. And this is what he says. That is why when Christ came into the world, Christ incarnate, Christ made human, that is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in the scriptures. The preacher here is taking a midrash, a teaching from the Hebrew scriptures that the rabbis preached about the Messiah coming. And in this Greek version of 
the Old Testament. It's called the Septuagint. It's the version that the early church would have used. It's the version that Jesus would have used of the Hebrew Scriptures. And so when, when they are reading this, it is actually saying, but you have given me a body to offer. You see, what he is saying is that the Messiah came to offer his body once and for all as a sacrifice for your sins, for all of you, for all of our sins. That's why in verse 10, it says, For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Jesus who was tested. Jesus who was tested and yet remained obedient and faithful to God. Placed his own life on the sacrificial altar for you and for me. And after that sacrifice was made, there was no need for any more. And then it says about Jesus, then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand, and there he remains until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. Jesus Christ has made a sacrifice for you and for me once and for all. For all of our sins, for all time. So if the old sacrificial system has been replaced now with this new sacrifice of Jesus' body, why do people still not worship? Well, Jesus reminded us that while he is at God's right hand, his enemies are not, are not yet humbled. Until they are humbled, he will remain at God's right hand. And when they are humbled, he will put his enemies under his feet as a footstool. What Jesus is saying, I believe, is that sin remains, that the power of darkness remains, that demons remain, and that Jesus' enemies still abound in this world. His enemies are sin disease, poverty, hunger, war, anger, rage, inauthenticity, despair, and yes, death. Those are the enemies. And even though Jesus has begun to vanquish them, they still remain. inauthenticity, the power of darkness. I 
still remember years ago when a young woman who had been worshiping with us here brought a friend. And she came to worship once and then she never showed up again. And I remember asking this young woman about her friend and she said, oh, she won't be coming back. And I was confused and I asked why. Was there something we had done? She said, no. She said, you see, she had started a relationship with a man and uh, was dating him. And uh, she was excited to come to church. She had some new hope in her life, new bounce in her step. And when she came to church, she said, she saw the man sitting in the church with his wife and two children. (laughs) The power of darkness remains. The power of evil continues. For too long we have used God's grace, I think, as a sin management system. You know, it's like the hypocritical actions of our lives where we live as two characters. The authenticity that Christ brings is that authenticity that integrates our lives so that we are one in the same that we are not duplicitous, that we don't look different to different people. Instead of thinking, I go to church, I give an offering, I ask God to forgive me, instead of looking at church in that context, because I think that that is possible to become a sin management system well I'm doing all the right things so I can just go to worship and get through all the actions and then God will forgive me and I can go back out into the world and who cares how I live because if I mess up then I can go back again next week doesn't that kind of sound like that old sacrificial system of the priests It's also reminiscent of the prophet Samuel's conversation with King Saul after he delivers the news to the king that his reign is now finished and that he'll be replaced. You see, King Saul failed to listen to Samuel, the prophet, who spoke to the king, not on behalf of Samuel, but he spoke the word of God. He spoke on behalf of God to the king. This is the story in 1 Samuel 15. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush, this is Samuel asking King Saul, Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. Then my troops brought in the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, and plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. But Samuel replied, 
What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering. When we turn grace into a project, then we have succumbed to that old sacrificial system. And what we have really done is we have neglected the promise of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus sat down at the right hand of God. He sat there and he remains there until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. One of the things that we may forget as followers of Jesus is that he is in heaven. He has sent his Holy Spirit to guide us. And we are his hands, his feet, and his mouthpiece. The words we speak, the actions we take, do they reflect the breaking in of the kingdom of God? You might say that the enemy has not yet been completely vanquished. But we do know this, that the victorious son is waiting for God's kingdom to come and for God's will to be done. The kingdom is drawing near. And as the kingdom draws near, more and more followers will live lives that reflect the victorious king, not the enemy. Jesus is waiting in verses 13 and 14 of our reading today. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. That time will come when the law is no longer an outward obligation or duty but that the law will be written on our hearts so that we will know when we have done wrong. We will know when we have been hurt. And we will be able to speak those words with clarity, seeking grace, forgiveness, and love. So approach the throne of God with confidence, the preacher says, because God's voice is merciful. Approach the altar with confidence that your sins are forgiven, that you have been justified by God once and for all. There is no sin in your past that can haunt you, that can cling to you. They are gone. And because they are gone, he announces them, uh, he announces to them, the people that he's, writing the sermon to, and to us, in verses 17 and 18. I will never again remember their sins and their lawless deeds. And when the sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifice. Friends, what Jesus is saying, what this preacher is telling us from the words of Jesus, is it is finished. Your sins are forgiven. 
you are being made holy, sanctified, right in front of us. It doesn't matter what it was. In Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. You are forgiven once and for all. Amen.